J.T. Forbes has been the executive director of the Indiana University Alumni Association since June 2010. J.T., given the rise of social media and all of the ways that people have to interact with each other, to find each other across the years and across the web, why do we even need alumni associations anymore? That's a great question. You know, for a lot of people, social media is seen as a game changer. When in fact, it's as revolutionary as other forms of technology that we've seen over the nearly 200 years of history of the Alumni Association. When we started in 1854, there was no such thing as the telephone. Um, there was no such thing as the television. And this crazy thing we call the Internet, which has only been around for a couple decades now, really were not things we could even imagine. So really when we look at social media, we have to see it as a medium, an important medium. But there's really no replacement for people within an institution that think very carefully about the relationship between an institution and the people it's touched. And social media is a tool that a lot of people use to get connected, but there's, it's still part of a continuum of things that go on uh, that re result in a lot of deeper connections. And it's our job at the Alumni Association to connect across the full continuum of those things, ultimately, so that we can really mobilize alumni to help themselves, each other, and Indiana University. This is Profiles, the weekly conversation program on WFIU. We're talking today with J.T. Forbes, the new executive director of the IU Alumni Association. He has previously served as the director of state government relations for Cummins Incorporated, has held uh, communications and government relations posts at Michigan State University and at IU, he holds bachelor's degree in political science and a master's in public affairs from Indiana University. Uh, JT, if your alumni connect through the Internet and through social media, and then the Alumni Association tries to be a, a value add or to offer them uh, services, how do you determine what it is they want and what they need? We're going to do that through both a formal and informal process of really eloquent listening. What I mean by that is we'll engage the best minds we have, both within our alumni body and here at the university, to really work on a program of research to really understand what it is alumni want, need, and find relevant, worthwhile, and meaningful in their lives. You know, we live at a time where we have grown far beyond the vision of the founders. We're a global network of more than 540,000 people living all over the country and across the globe, really. So we really got to begin to think about how do we not look at everybody as the same, but find those segments and groups around which we can really build communities of interest and engagement in the university. We have multiple interests. We have such a rich array of programs from which people get degrees that we really got to understand that diversity is an asset. We have multiple campuses. You know, now we have... You know, there was a time in the history of Indiana University where we rallied around a team that was all about stripes. You know, now we have spots, fangs, and feathers <laughs> with all our mascots. So those are all rally points and points of diversity that are an asset. But what we've got to do with the Alumni Association is really figure out how to marshal and mobilize that by focusing on our alumni and then helping the institution that's become very large and self-reliant understand how best to engage and mobilize all those people, and especially the ones I can tell you I've met over the course of my career here, who are deeply passionate, loyal, and committed and want to see the university thrive and prosper. It's our job to really begin to figure out how we focus and organize our efforts around those things that our alumni find relevant, meaningful, and worthwhile, and really create meaningful volunteer leadership experiences and personal enrichment experiences for them. Are you saying that the Alumni Association going forward is going to be less about being a member of the association writ large and more about uh, interest groups and constituents and societies? I think it's important as we move forward to see ourselves as playing a really important and valued role in building the capacity of the institution to marshal all that energy and commitment and passion of the institution um, that alumni share and feel to help alumni help themselves, each other, and the university. So membership is 
part of a continuum of ways you're engaged in the university. You know, Perry, we have really more than 100,000 alumni engaged and involved in doing things that connect back and benefit the university if you add up alumni who are donors, alumni who are season ticket holders across the continuum of athletics, arts, and cultural opportunities. If you look at all the people in Indiana who have an IU license plate, if you look at people that have an IU affinity credit card, all those things add up to more than 20 percent of our alumni body. So uh, there's really a lot more people involved than we think. And if we look solely at membership, we miss the reality that alumni choose a variety of ways to be involved. And it's our job at the Alumni Association to really help the institution uh, understand that and build on that affinity and commitment and interest in the institution. Let me bring this back to the personal just a second. Uh, I believe one of the most daunting uh, challenges you face uh, is if there are half a billion alumni of the institution, how do you get them to know you as the, the new director? I've known you for many years because I've been at the university and, and people who have worked here know you. But to that throng of uh, the other uh, 495,000 people, how do you reach them? I've got a couple things I'll say about that. The first is it's not about me. We don't live in an age where I can become some sort of personality around that people mobilize around. We've got to really focus on getting people organized, mobilized around the things that interest them and align that with the things the university is able to do to really engage and support them in meaningful ways as volunteers, as people engage in our personal enrichment experiences and all those kinds of things. There's a lot within that that we're doing already that's really strong and robust and vibrant. You know, one of those things that um, we do is many university, which is consistently oversubscribed. We've got more people that want to participate in that personal enrichment experience than we've got spots for them. So we've really got to look at that and figure out how we grow and develop that. Uh, I also think we do a lot of expecting people to come to the Bloomington campus when we have a rich array of campuses around the state. And we also have alumni centered in a lot of places. We need to figure out how we're going to go where they are and meet them where they are. And so that's really built around a more systematic program that's also connected into the schools and colleges and units that are seeking a richer, deeper relationship with alumni. So we'll strengthen our relationship with the admissions office because in the, in the world we're living, it's more and more important to get friends asking friends, friends sharing their own personal stories to attract the high-quality students we're after, to recruit the kind of faculty we're interested in, in developing who are already here or who we want to bring into our community. So, so it's not about me. It's about how we as an institution do that work. So I think that's an important component. But if I graduated with a degree from the South Bend campus and I now live in New Albany, how interested am I really going to be in IU Southeast? Again, it's not about a single campus or an institution. It's about our alumni. We have to understand our alumni in some ways better than they might understand themselves. Because again, in the world we live today, there are all sorts of organizations that are using marketing techniques to know more about all of us based on our consumer. I mean, if you're an iPhone user, don't think for a minute that Apple doesn't have a lot of data on the places <laughs> you're going and the things you're buying and the, the, the interests you have. And don't think any transaction you're doing on the Internet is not being aggregated. Don't think that your credit card is not building a consumer profile that's helping the credit card company and the third parties to which they sell that information understand you. Because we're all increasingly conditioned to expect the appeals and requests to come that come to us to know who we are. Remember, we're in the midst of a significant uh, generational transformation. We now serve, because of life expectancy, four generations simultaneously. This year marks the first year of, that the baby boomer generation has reached retirement age. That first cohort is just turned 65 this year. So we're moving into an era where those who fought World War II and those before them are still an active and vibrant part of what we're about. But we're moving into where my parents' generation is now moving into retirement. They have a unique and different set of interests from those before them. Mm -hmm. 
and my generation is beginning to move their kids into college. So we've got to understand everybody in those generations has unique interests and preferences, and they, we live in a world where they've been come to expect more tailored responses. So that's what we've got to do as an association is build our capacity to do that. That doesn't mean we're going to treat people uh, like they're business objects. It doesn't mean that we're turning the Alumni Association into a business. What it means is we're trying to use the best practices of what we're teaching in a lot of our departments around here to apply to reach alumni in ways they find relevant, meaningful, and worthwhile. Again, right now, if we use membership as the only metric, we have roughly 10% of our total alumni body in membership, which is consistent with the national average. Because we're one of the largest bodies of of alumni in the world, we also rank very highly, number eight right now in the country in terms of membership. But the larger trend is one of declining membership overall in the alumni associations. We've seen that at Indiana University, and we've got to reverse that tide, not by looking out to other alumni associations to figure out how we replicate what they're doing, but understanding that we're in a larger, if you will, line of work that's really about connecting and engaging people in, in important and relevant ways to advance the institution, to make a difference in their lives individually and collectively. My understanding is since you raise that decline and say that it's typical for large alumni associations, uh, in the year 2000, I think the IU Alumni Association had about 63,000 members. Mm-hmm. In 2010, just under 60,000 a decline, but but not a precipitous one. Mm-hmm. Will that be a goal uh, to increase membership, even though you've said that's just one of the metrics? I think we'll count what counts, and membership's an important metric for measuring engagement in the life of the university. But I also think we need to count more things. We need to look at attendance at the events and experiences we create, whether they be in partnership with other units or things we do on our own. We also need to look at how we build a continuum of engagement. You know, back to social media. You know, we can focus on Twitter and and Facebook, but if you look at what organizations that are leveraging those technologies are doing, they're seeing engagement in those media as part of a larger continuum of how you measure people's increasing commitment and interest and engagement in the causes, concerns, and products that they use to make meaning and purpose out of their lives. That's, I think, what you'll see us do over time is really look more holistically at all this. Even this, all this talk I've said about marketing is really about having a holistic understanding of our alumni as individuals and groups that share common interests and build on that as opposed to kind of a one-size-fits-most thing that's a little bit all about us at IU and what we want. We need to lead more with appeals and interests in getting involved in things that people find interesting and compelling. When we, I've met twice with our executive council. I've logged more than 20,000 miles on the road, in the air, and around the state, and, and on the campuses. And what I hear from that from alumni is, involve me more. Give me more relevant and meaningful opportunities to help be a part of things. And let me help tell that story. And, it, and if you look at our history and some of the most important things all of our presidents have said, It really boils down to a recognition that Indiana University is distinguished by the achievements and relationships that are forged by our students, faculty, staff, and alumni. So that means that we've really got to embrace that and empower people to be part of that and and leverage that incredible potential that's unmet right now. You sound as if one of the things or maybe the overarching thing you're going to be looking at is increasing the variety, number, and quality of touches to each alum, uh, whether it be a paid exchange or not, a meaningful touch between the institution and the person. Yes, with this caveat. We're going to really become more intentional. We're going to do more things well rather than more things. We've proliferated a lot of tactical responses and things that we perpetuate without really paying attention to whether they're working for those we're trying to reach out to. So we're going to take a hard look at all that and really begin to, to shape our time and energy and resources to really build it around human connections and be really strategic and thoughtful and principled about how we do that. You know, as I've come in, one of the things we all agreed to as a staff early on and that, that we talked to our board about was really 
adopting some principal priorities about how we kind of function and focus our energy this year. Because our our thinking is if we're really intentional and thoughtful about that, we'll really come to a real deeper understanding of our role and mission. And so we spent a lot of time this year really thinking about how we create experiences that lead to higher levels of engagement, Mm -hmm. volunteerism, and giving in the university so that we don't see everything as, oh, it's the same event we did last year. But what needs to happen when we bring people together? How do we communicate an expectation? And how do we deliver an experience that meets or exceeds that expectation, resulting in ultimately having them express the ways they want to get involved? We're looking also at how we celebrate these relationships and achievements that define the institution. It's not about the institution bestowing award only. It's really thinking about who are the exemplars that we want to hold up to the whole alumni body as the human examples of all of our lofty talk of what it means to and to get an IU degree and what the value of that education is. So we're doing a lot of that. When we've been doing award programs, we've really been thinking about that. You know, we also look at the quality of what we're we're giving people. That's a statement of our how we're recognizing them. We are also becoming more data and technology assisted for all the reasons I said before. And we're doing that very intentionally and thoughtfully. Remember I said assisted, not driven. We're not treating people as numbers. We're seeing ways to use data and technology, whether that be through social media or by leveraging our very good alumni record system to also look at at it as a data system to really understand how we're going to track, monitor, and target our efforts to know that we're making a meaningful and lasting connection. And then finally, we're also really uh, focused on working together to make a move really from good to great. By most measures, we are best in class. We're at an age, though, where Good enough is not good enough. We've got to be really great because we're in a world where we've got to compete for time, attention, and resources from a variety of sources and choices that people didn't have when we started in 1854. You make a reference to moving from good to great, which I assume is a reference to Jim Collins's best-selling book, Good to Great, in mm-hmm. which he examined uh, – American corporations who seem to be identical to appear, but in watching them over a 20-year period, one moved from good to great and the other simply stayed where it was. And Collins in his book describes uh, his belief that getting the right people on the bus, your organization, and then getting those people in the right seats, doing the right functions, is even more important than a long-range plan, that you have to first get the right people, and then you move uh, into goal setting. Uh, How do you see applying those principles to an alumni association? Well, I have to – this is a great opportunity to say something I've been saying my entire career. I think it's important to start all this with an understanding that universities are educational institutions with business problems. They are not businesses selling educational and services. So it is with the Alumni Association. There's a lot to learn about good to great. And I bring a lot with me from the travels I've made. Most of my career has been at Indiana University, but I've made some stops along the way at institutions where, and organizations where I thought I could learn something that would enhance my ability to contribute in a bigger way here. One of those stops is Cummins. And Cummins is an extraordinary place, not just because it's led by people of high intellect, high, even higher integrity, and immense humility, It's because what I saw in that organization was they put people first. They understand that it's talent. And I think that's one of the central insights about good to great that's important. And it's one of the the guiding principles about the work we're embarking on right now. We've got a lot of dedicated, talented, loyal people at the Alumni Association. And we have a lot of volunteers. I'm not convinced, which is why we're going to make some organizational changes, that people are on the right seats on the bus as Colin says. So we're really taking a people-first perspective and saying let's get people in the roles that make sense for us to be, move forward. One of the things I've seen in alumni relations, both as a, a receiver of it, as a life member for quite a while now, and now as, uh, as one of the leaders in it, is that we really get in this conversation with alumni where they'll say, I love IU, how can I help? And our response tends to be, well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Mm. And then we build a program around that. And that lasts only as long as that individual or group that came up with the idea 
can perpetuate it. And in some cases, that makes sense. But in a lot of cases, when you take a step back, a lot of that needs to be a question we can answer. Because to me, it's almost an ethical issue. If we're going to value you, we need to be ready to have promises we can keep. And if we're going to ask you to do something, it needs to be part of something that is sustainable beyond your time leading it or being involved in it. So we're really taking, a again, a page from where I came in my last stop and really thinking about what is kind of functional excellence in alumni relations means so that we can really say, how do we be really excellent at having a set of things that we want to engage alumni in that are of sustainable, enduring quality, that are meaningful, and can continuously improve. So we've really spent a lot of time looking at the more than a 1,000 events this institution does, and literally, again, taking a best practice out of um, some of the work we do in um, the School of Library and Information Science, and really, literally, card sorting all mm-hmm. those things into categories that make sense to our alumni and align with what the functional definition of what we're trying to get done as an institution with our alumni. And when you do that, you can pretty quickly come up with a set of pretty clear kind of categories of work that we can get in. And so we get off of seeing everything as a one-off event, and part of it is a programmatic offering. It also gets you to think about alumni volunteers as busy people. Mm-hmm. It also makes you think, well, what kind of programs can we put in a box? So when you're out in San Francisco and you want to get people together, you don't have to do it all yourself. Or if you're sitting in northern Indiana and you want to bring a group down here for a performance, some of that work's already done for you. So you spend your time networking and connecting with other alumni and sharing a common experience. So we're really looking at how we do that in a more focused way. Uh, Every time we do a Profiles, we ask our guests to uh, bring with them a couple of musical selections. And it seems fitting that uh, uh, an alumni director would pick this first one by Bing Crosby. Can you tell us what it is and why you selected it? It's uh, Can't Get Indiana Off My Mind. And I picked it for the obvious reason that in accepting this job, I've embraced the reality that I've never been able to get this institution out of my heart or my head. Because I think it's also a special nod to one of our graduates, Hoagie Carmichael. And Bing Crosby sings it as good or better than uh, Kate Smith did on the Historical Society's recording of that same song. And so that's why I picked it. Can't get Indiana off my mind That's the place I long to see Back in Indiana I will find All the folks so dear to me How I'd love to see that lazy river Stop and give her my In my dreams I see a lady knitting For the one she's thinking of Can't get Indiana off my mind Anywhere I chance to roam Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. JT, you've made clear that you don't think this is all about you, but haven't you promised your executive board that you're going to visit uh, every Indiana chapter and all of the national chapters in the coming year? (laughs) Well, as I, I think I said earlier, we've logged about... So far, halfway into the year, 25,000 miles on the road in the air around the campuses across the state. I think we will surpass the Claude Rich record of 40 (laughs) this year. We're almost there probably. Um, And we'll get to most. Um, I plan to be in this job for quite a while, so I figure I've got a little more time. And a couple of my board members after they've seen what we've done so far have said, you know, you're doing all right. Keep at it, but take a little time. So we'll do that. We will, by the end of the year, I think, have gone coast to coast and as far north and south as we have, as we can get in the first, you know, 12 months. 
And then aren't there 85 chapters worldwide? There are. If we can do it, we'll go abroad this year too. But again, I'll be here a while and we've got people out doing that work. So uh, there is a, you know, the, one of the insights from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is that the key to going fast is knowing when to go slow. <laughs> uh, you've also suggested goals which include boosting three things, IU pride, IU engagement, and IU giving. How do those interrelate? Well, I think they're all part of the same continuum. And I think as an organization and a university that's very ambitious with a lot of big dreams, we have to understand there's a lot of ways to be involved and engaged. Membership and giving are two of a multitude. You know, we really need people helping us tell our story in our process of recruiting students. You know, the the story of what's happening in Bloomington is well publicized and documented about our rapid rise in the quality of the undergraduate class. At the same time, having been an advocate for all of the university at the State House for several years, I can also tell you the, the story of growth and development of those campuses has happened faster than a generation. And we have a lot of work to do to make sure people recognize the extraordinary uh, educational opportunities and the, the growth and development of those campuses. And, and that's work that's only often done by friends talking to friends. It's the back fence neighbor conversation, word of mouth that has as much to do with influencing people's perceptions and understanding. And, you know, that's one of the things we'll work on at the Alumni Association through HHE is really leveraging that. We'll also enhance... That's Hoosiers for Higher Education. Yes, sorry, Hoosiers for Higher Education. 20 years old this year, uh, you know, pioneered through the leadership of Sue Talbot, who lives right here in Bloomington. And we'll also look at a closer, an even closer relationship with recruiting across the continuum of undergraduate, international, and a lot of the diversity work we do, and really put an emphasis behind those things as one example of, of what we're talking about here. I was intrigued by a phrase you used earlier uh, about a program in a box. Uh, what, what is that? Well, you know, if you think about it, there are hundreds of game watches. There are wonderful opportunities to see incredible opera performances here that are streamed. We need to think about, again, it's not about us sitting here in Bloomington or on the other campuses. It's how do we really bring what we're about to where people are? And if you really use the metaphor of program in a box, you literally can come up with things like that you can put in a box to help people rally and celebrate the connection to IU and those experiences they find fun. Those two are pretty obvious because they're performances, whether they're on the athletic field or at the MAC or on other campuses where we do that work. But the point would be really literally to think about how we do that. Because right now, if you're out doing those things in your community, you have to chase all that. You know, where do you get the T-shirt or the button? Mm -hmm. uh, you can find the game, but all the other little special touches, those details that make it a little different, better, special than just showing up somewhere, those are things we need to think about and offer to people to, to bring a little bit of the university to where they are. And there's a tremendous um, number of opportunities there. I've been put on a limit by my staff of five new ideas a day. So I've started <laughs> to write these down. Program of the Box is one of those things we're starting to, to look at. And actually some of the schools are starting to think about those things. And it's kind of exciting to see where they take it already. One of the issues that every nonprofit director has to face, and I know that you studied nonprofit management as well in your master's work, is that of funding. And alumni associations across the country in the 80s and the 90s, even beyond, but, but in those decades, latched on almost you could see the wave, waves break across the, the country as they each discovered new ways to uh, sell insurance policies, to sell moving uh, contracts to, to people through affiliations to buy license plates, that uh, affinity plates, to buy affinity credit cards. And that was a tremendous infusion of money to the largest alumni associations. Those seem to be tapering off now. And I wonder how the Alumni Association will replace those funding sources. Well, that's a great question. You know, the affinity credit card programs were kind of the Hoosier lottery for yes. alumni relations. They're very robust when times are good with consumer credit reform and with the downturn of the market and people kind of tightening their belts. 
those are nowhere near what they used to be. And we're tightening our belts to the tune of over a million dollars of revenue that's not coming in from that. I first think this is a tremendous opportunity to really focus in on what really is important and what matters. Because when you have, when times are good, it's very easy to just kind of cruise along. We're using this really as an opportunity to, to look at what we're doing. And it's really pressed us to really go back to this idea of how do we do more things better than just more things. And so in some ways, this is an opportunity we're not going to squander to really look at how we're operating and become much more um, even smarter about it. At the same time, there are new revenue opportunities that we're going to look at. Some of those are in, develop in talks that we can't really disclose publicly, but you'll see us roll out new partnerships, um, maybe some sponsorship opportunities. There's some things we do that could make a lot of sense there. Uh, there are still affinity opportunities out there too because a lot of these things have morphed again as generations have changed where people would get involved in those things as getting them something they benefited knowing it would also help the university. People in some cases are taking a sharper eye at that. Mm -hmm. and so we've got to decide are we offering these things as things you can do to help yourself and IU or are we trying to compete with AAA, ARP, NRA, whatever, name mm -hmm. name the membership organization to compete benefit to benefit. That's also part of the, the deeper thinking that we're, we're doing on that as we move forward. I came in, you know, I was a green person saying anything we're doing in that area has to be a unique benefit. And I've had people counsel me to say, well, maybe what you need to be thinking about is how it benefits them and the institution. And so I'm listening to a lot of people and we're trying to figure some of that out. What you'll see is at first – a tightening of our belt, which is important and necessary to do. Everybody around the world is doing that in this economy. That's healthy. And every organization like ours is facing that. So we're going to use that as the opportunity. And then we'll build from there. Because, again, back to getting people in the right seats on the bus, we have enormous talent, both in the alumni body, enormous insight and experience in our volunteer base. We'll leverage that to figure some of this out too because at the end of the day, I do think we're all going to be pressed to really decide what really matters to us because we all have a little less either psychologically or in our pocketbooks in this kind of re economic reckoning we're in to really have to sort that out. You know, right now, we're an all-time high of unemployment with uh, college-educated people. I think it's hovering at about 5%. We haven't seen that for college-educated people in my lifetime probably. So we're, there's, there's you know, 25,000 IU alumni out there looking for work right now. We've stepped into that. This is where these things also create opportunities, and we're offering a bridge membership program that opens up the treasure trove of career services and networking opportunities that we have to unemployed alums at no cost. If you're an unemployed alum, you can give us a call or get online and get connected to us. That gives you access to a whole set of career uh, services tools from resume building to job boards to webinars and workshops that we offer for them at no charge without an expectation of any membership. Because right now we see in this time those are the kinds of inventive and creative things we need to be doing to share the bounty of what we've got to help reach out to people. You know, it gets us beyond the mythology that the only thing we offer is a magazine. We're a magazine and more. And this is just an example of a way we're reaching out to show that and demonstrate that. Now, your background is unique in that uh, you've worked back and forth in the public and private sector, but you've also done something uh, very interesting in moving between Big Ten institutions. Uh, you've worked as an associate vice president at IU, an assistant vice president at Michigan State, and, and while you were there, you held similar public affairs positions. How would you compare and contrast these two major Big Ten institutions? The time at Michigan State was an extraordinary experience. I was there at a time when, like most institutions, they were really searching for how to focus the external relations function to be a servant to the academic priorities of the institution and really help also reposition the institution. Michigan State has an extraordinary history. It's really the pioneer land-grant university. It was established before the, the Morrill Act that established the land-grant university model. They were the first state to offer the sons and daughters of Michigan an education in agriculture and what they called the mechanic arts at the time, engineering. Mm -hmm. 
at that time, only West Point offered engineering. And Michigan had a vision that led to, I think, why the auto industry was there. And Michigan State was at the front lines of that. And Michigan State has an extraordinary combination of incredibly talented, committed faculty um, that are excellent in their fields with also a real grounding in having all that knowledge be put in service to practical application. And so it was a really interesting place to be to see how they negotiated that relationship in the state and how they built that mission like that. And also, it was really insightful. It made me really celebrate and appreciate the relationship between IU and Purdue. Michigan and Michigan State do not enjoy the history of arm-in-arm collaboration. They fight toe-to-toe in their history day-to-day. That's evolved to a point now where the leaders of the two institutions recognize the strength of the two together. That's something we've done in Indiana extremely well. It makes our lives a little more complicated than the work I do, but it also makes that more intellectually rich to be faced with how you bring together these unique institutions. But Indiana is really blessed with institutions that share the best of what they have to offer with the state and spend time trying to figure out how to put those things together. Without that collaboration, I don't think we'd have the array of quality programs and we wouldn't have the economic and cultural and scientific impact that the two institutions enjoy. Not many states can support two great universities. We can do that in Indiana because the two work so well and so complementary together. I think that dated from a series of meetings between uh, President Hovde at Purdue and President Wells at Indiana leading to what they called simply the differentiation of mission, that they would not try to duplicate each uh, what each other was doing, but rather would pursue things they felt they could be excellent in. And it is a formula that seems to have carried through to this day. I think it's allowed both institutions to be stronger by focusing on what they can do best. I also think it created a model that's benefited Indiana greatly beyond the the obvious IPFW, IUPUI, Bloomington, West Lafayette permutations. We have an array of programs we share on all our campuses, whether they be statewide technology on regional campuses or regional medical education centers. Indiana has one of the largest medical schools because it's a statewide network and has a higher rate of placement of doctors in rural communities because we have this constellation of really strong medical education centers that are rooted in communities and connected to the best of what Indiana and Purdue have to offer and the other host institutions. That brings Notre Dame, the University of Southern Indiana, Ball State. You know, everybody has a little piece of that. Indiana State's part of that mm-hmm. with a unique focus on rural health care. So it really creates much more than we'd have If we got into a model where one institutional type had dominance over another or where we built up everything in one place at the expense of these other communities in Indiana, it makes our life more complicated, no doubt. But that complexity brings great benefit. Because you've harked back to uh, uh, decades past and, and historical references, I'd like to play a clip of a social media uh, video Uh, just obviously the audio portion for our audience, that I believe you've shared with alumni leaders, drawn from words written more than 100 years ago uh, of the traditional rite of freshman convocation. Let's take a listen. The spirit that is Indiana knows no limitations of age, color, creed, doctrine, social, political, or economic bounds. The Indiana that welcomes you here includes in its membership all parts of the collegiate body from the youngest freshman to the oldest member of the faculty and of its administrative staff. It includes all those who have come for the purpose of seeking truth and intellectual freedom. Of such, it requests that they partake of its spirit and feel themselves shareholders in its privileges and in its responsibilities. The spirit that greets you here is the rich heritage of a glorious past made possible by students who, like yourselves, upon entering the university, felt strangely far from home and intimate friends, but who soon adapted themselves to their new environment. The university covets for each of you a like experience. The traditions of the institution must be carried on by the entering classes who take up and carry on where the graduating classes leave off. 
as rich as is the heritage which you find here, it should be and must be made richer and better because of your having been here. Soon, even to those of you who stay longest, will be given the commencement farewell. The credit which you eventually reflect upon the university will depend to a great extent upon how you conduct yourselves in the interval between this induction and your graduation. Make the most of the opportunities while here. Acquaint yourself with the best traditions of the university. Leave here richer in tradition than when you entered. Such is the law of progress. All that has been and all that is of the spirit of Indiana University welcomes you unreservedly. Why did you have that produced? We did that because it's symbolic of where we are. Um, having given that address, it has really special meaning to me. And so when I hear it, it resonates with me. I said earlier, it's not about me. I think, though, like many people, we all have a yearning for a sense of meaning, purpose, and hope. We're at a time when that's important. We may not call it tradition anymore, but whether it's social media, whether it's the organizations we're part of, you know, we may be bowling alone, but we're engaged in other things now. And I think that speaks to the sense that you're part of something larger than yourself. It's symbolic of where we are also because the way we did this was many voices. You know, there was a time where it would have been given by a male voice and a voice that had the experience of a single campus. Now we have a diverse tapestry of people, programs, experiences. You know, again, we've gone beyond stripes to spots, fangs, and feathers mm. with all of our mascots um, and and tusks as well in Fort Wayne. We have mastodons <laughs> there. And this all speaks to the multiplicity of voices. And I think it really shows, too, in the way we did this, that we're all part of something larger than ourselves. We're not one voice. We're many voices. We're many campuses. We come from many places. And we go all over the world. So we're going to use this as part of many campaigns we do to reach out. I also see as I travel around the rise of people of a traditional undergraduate age who may come from a different town than somebody else. Not everybody ends up in Bloomington or Indianapolis or what have you. But we're all wanting to be part of something when we're students as well. And so I think this has raised the question of how do we begin to share some of these traditions we hold in common? We have multiple campuses doing their relevant version of homecoming. We have the IUPUI regatta, which for those from Bloomington is the little five of that campus, is developing into that in a very short amount of time. We have campuses looking at how they build that sense of spirit pride tradition. That's why that remains an important part because we want to celebrate what we hold in common. It may be experienced differently, but there are some things overarching to that. And if you listen to those words without any partisanship of where you got your degree, I think it speaks to all of us in really compelling and beautiful ways. And that right, those, those words are spoken now each fall as part of the formal freshman convocation in Bloomington in which uh, freshmen are officially inducted into the freshman class. So it has an ongoing use as well. Absolutely. You've talked about that tradition, uh, about that continuum, but I, I want to pick up on your mentioning of many voices used in the recording where traditionally it would have been a male voice. I noticed that in a number of your speeches, you've commented on the growing need for the Alumni Association to serve women, the larger numbers of women in the alumni pool, and in some cases, women becoming the majority number of students on individual campuses. How will this change the Alumni Association? Well, as Jim Madison says, the Indiana way is evolution, not revolution. <laughs> and I think you'll see us evolve. You know, as the son of many mothers and as multiple daughters and the father of multiple daughters, I see this played out every day. And we're at a point in our history where we've got to embrace that element of our history and legacy. Women are not an audience. They're the audience. You can't run things as a women's initiative because they're such a dominant force. And they're a major part of the country and the future of the world. So we're engaging in work to move that forward. We've assembled a group of 
extraordinary women leaders, coordinated by Lori McRobbie, to really look at how do we build that movement of women leaders? How do we support succeeding generations and connect people in ways that women do extraordinarily well and in ways that are becoming the dominant force of how things move forward? And so we're really embracing that and, and moving forward, not again by sitting in our offices, looking out the window, dreaming it up, but by listening eloquently and purposefully to people who forged a future in their communities and in their companies and their families and everywhere else that these women leaders have worked and building it off what their insights are. And so over time, you'll see that evolve. But I think it'll be done in a way where nobody feels like they're a winner and loser or it's women and not men or girls and not boys, but as just part of the natural evolution of how things go. In that listening process, do you hear groups of women speak uh, more with bitterness about years of exclusion or second-class status, or do you hear them speak more uh, about enthusiastic participation now that they've been asked? It's really fascinating because I come out of a political background and a student activist background where I think it's always kind of change comes from a militant voice. And it's been fascinating as I've been in this role and listened and met a lot of people that have been part of this history of women at Indiana University. Earlier this year, we honored some former student-athletes from an era before we offered a varsity letter. And it's fascinating because they tell their story with immense pride about the relationships they formed, the championships they won, the struggles they had together. And what's interesting is it's presented as part of their story without any anger or resentment, and actually with a lot of pride when the university has taken steps. You know, in, under Clarence Doniger's watch, we really looked at that and embraced that. And Fred's doing some great things now as well. And, and what you see is it's, it's more of a feeling that things have been accomplished and progress has been made as opposed to an issue of right or wrong. And it, it taught me a lot as a leader about how things work, and how real leaders operate. And it was, it was really inspiring and compelling. And it just, and for my part, just deepened my conviction that this is the direction we have to go. Among uh, the parts of your background that we don't want to let you get away without a, a comment on, uh, because it is unusual to, to have all these things together, you are a former president of the student body. Uh, you also are in that very small group of former student trustees. So you literally have seen the institution from some vantage points and rooms that most of us have not. And I wonder how that informs your work as alumni director. I think this gives me a unique experience because I've seen so many pieces of the elephant. I also have had unique experiences early in my career to work across the university. And so I've seen it evolve over the course of my life in some pretty extraordinary ways and got an early professional education in understanding all of the institution in ways that I don't think most people get. And so I think I have a unique insight. I am a citizen of more than one campus, having earned a degree here and in Indianapolis. And so I also think I represent um, generationally and experientially a unique perspective within the array of people in senior leadership of the administration. And again, I'm grateful for Michael asking me to come back to do this because I feel like it's really a chance to contribute you know, more than just my time and energy, but contribute a big part of me to give back to all those people that, have, that did that for me. And in fact, when I meet with student leaders, I try to share my leadership story with them because I feel a special responsibility to you and Damon and other people who really helped me learn how to be a good leader. Tell us at least about one or two of the faculty members who who made a lasting impact on you. I, I almost hate to do it because there's a lot of them. You know, two people that really um, stand out. One is uh, John McCluskey. I took a course uh, my senior year from him that just really uh, helped open my eyes to learning and literature. And I, he was one of the first professors I ever felt comfortable really going in and having just an open conversation with. And um, he just respected my mind and let me share what I thought and introduced me to a realm of literature I'd, I'd never seen. Another one is Margie Hershey, who is in political science and really brought, was my capstone um, professor and really helped me pull all the discrete parts of what I did because I was one of those kids that spent as much time learning 
outside the – well, probably a little more time learning outside the classroom <laughs> than in in some ways. And she was really patient and tolerant and helped really challenge me and kind of met me where I was as more of an active learner that learned by doing and really made me feel like that was good and okay and set me up for the graduate education I have where I felt like I undid all my undergraduate misdeeds as a student. And I was really grateful. There's several others um, that I could mention too. And then from a public leadership standpoint, there's two people I got to mention, and that would be Mark Cruzan and, uh, and Vi Simpson. Vi did a lot to nurture me as a leader, and Mark continues to try to prop me up when I make mistakes around here. And is a, they're both wise and generous servants to IU, Bloomington, and have been great to me and legions of other uh, students who've come through this place. You've been listening to Profiles, the weekly conversation with newsmakers and public officials. This week, we've been talking with J.T. Forbes, the new executive director of the Indiana University Alumni Association. I'm your host, Perry Metz. The program you just heard was recorded in January of 2011. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, Executive Producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.